0: Good day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, brought to you by Digital Shadows. I'm Sean, and of course, I'm joined with my plucky band of intelligence misfits. Joined, of course, today by Ivan, the one and only Austin.
1: Yes, sir. Hello. And of course,
0: our leader, our inspiration, Rick Holland.
1: Pretty low bar for inspiration there.
0: I don't know. I think you do all right. (laughs) So... You know, like every every week, I know when we go through these like planning calls, you know, we always think like, you know, sometimes we're scraping to, to try to find something good to talk about and things like that. And then you have weeks like this where everything just drops in your lap literally every day. So a couple of quick things uh, developing as of this morning, actually, Twitch has been hacked. And originally I'd said maybe just because it didn't seem like there was any official confirmation. But Twitch has confirmed via Twitter as of about three hours ago that the, uh, the breach was real. Um, so what that looks like is some of the uh, source code on the original Twitch and some other important information on the back end um, has been leaked. And it sounds like that there may be some parts, more parts coming to this. So this is a developing story as of today. Um, so Thursday, October 6th. Uh, So we'll see how this develops, but with the official confirmation, now there's not as much speculation on what's going on. Now we just wait and see what's next. Uh, But if you are a frequent user of Twitch, as many of the InfoSec community is, uh, do recommend going on there and maybe uh, changing your passwords, looking at your authentication methods when you do log in. um, And, you know, just to make sure that everything still looks good and that you still have access to your accounts. So... It's always better safe than sorry. Um, And in another kind of fun blow to scammers out there, uh, there's actually a story published yesterday from Ars Technica about how the FCC is planning to rein in gateway carriers in the war on robocalls, which means really good stuff for us. Um, As the gateway carriers, they're talking about basically the the, uh, switches at the periphery of the United States that uh, Direct inbound international calls, and these are the calls that are typically spoofed with local area codes and local phone numbers. Uh, but of course, are trying to reach you for your, uh, you know, insurance needs, or you know, because they need uh, iTunes cards to restore your social security number, or because your vehicle warranty is expired. So, the good news is that uh, these gateway carriers are going to be hopefully forced to implement better controls on how those calls are handled and how they come in, which should hopefully Reduce the number. I know my number of spam calls has increased exponentially over the last couple of months. Um, so uh, hopefully, we're going to have a little bit of peace and quiet from those rebel calls. Um, and of course, the other big news, uh, just in the last forty-eight hours, is um, Facebook basically took a day off, uh, pretty unintentionally, uh, and it's, it's it's a kind of the day that the internet died in a in a sense, but in the same token it kind of brought back some other areas like i don't know sharing memes through texts and uh you know
1: the dark ages man the dark, dark ages. ages
0: for sure i i wonder how tom from myspace handled it like you know was there kind of like a sitting in the corner of his apartment just like ha 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 in a dark corner with his long like grizzly beard or something i don't know but I did notice that uh, a lot of brands were back engaging on Twitter a lot yesterday. Uh, There was a lot of um, information, you know, popping up on Reddit. Um, All sorts of interesting things. Probably some of the best memes I've seen in a while about social media came out yesterday. Um, Lots of good stuff. Uh, The Spirit Halloween sign over the Facebook uh, sign was like one of my favorites, I think. Um, For those of you that aren't familiar or not on Facebook or Instagram, um, the, the basically the TLDR of this is that, um, the border gateway protocol was not properly configured, um, which caused a massive shutdown of all the different Facebook services. And of course, with their internal work platform being, uh, also hosted on facebook.com, uh, apparently a lot of their, um, physical security tools. So people were locked out of the building, um, their phones were not working, um, and it required physical access to get to the servers by all accounts. So, um, you know, one error using BGP, um, basically meaning that your DNS servers were no longer accessible, means all of your services that are tied to it shut down. So, pretty crazy stuff. Um, it's like I've heard, you know, a couple, you know, well, a couple of million, 60 million in losses potentially, um, you know, uncounted numbers to uh small businesses maybe that you know they use ads on facebook um not to mention it kind of affected our overall addiction to the internet and social media so um you know the positive effect is again people began engaging in different ways as the dark ages were uh no longer dealing with ad algorithms um so uh, i think what's really important is that maybe it kind of brought us back to what's really important there's a lesson there somewhere
1: I think what's uh, really important is perhaps not spending as much time on Facebook um, and some of the negativity that is associated with Facebook.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm basically hiding ads in like every other post these days and uh, about 70% of the ads are not relevant to me in any sort of way, but they just, uh, and I look at the, the metrics, you know, it's a lot of times those ads are just like wanting to reach people who are alive, you know, like there's not even any kind of like bandwidth as far as like who they're trying to target. It's just literally everybody. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's getting a a little bit much. Um, I don't go on Facebook nearly as much anymore, um, but it's the only contact I have with certain people from various points of my life. So it's like, you know, it's good to check in, but yeah, I think uh, there's definitely other platforms out there, but yeah. Interesting how it basically shut down the entire thing for a little bit. It took a better chunk of the day yesterday from, from what it looks like to get most of the services restored. So uh, yeah. So a day without the internet.
1: Good times. Fun time to be in uh, Facebook's IT department.
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes you kind of wonder if there's going to be any job postings opening up for uh, some network architects or um, network engineers. Maybe we shall see. So, but if you haven't had a chance to check it out, definitely some great memes from yesterday. Lots of really good Twitter posts too. So, um, you know, a lot of it is very much tongue in cheek. There's a little bit of Schadenfreude involved in there. Um, I was hoping I was going to be able to work that in today, but yeah, it's interesting stuff. As far as, you know, like one of the topics we always talk a lot about at Digital Shadows is of course, you know, big concerns with our customers, which brings us to our next topic is that of ransomware. And it's one of our, it's our favorite R word in the office, just because we, we deal with it so often with our daily looks at, you know, different. I thought Rick,
1: I thought Rick was your favorite R word. I'm offended now.
0: It was until like, you know, dark side and colonial happened, and then it was okay, ransomware.
1: Okay. I was, was trending down. I was trending down. That makes <laughs> sense.
0: It's just it. I mean, you're at a close second for sure. <laughs> so, you know, we'll talk a little bit about you know some of the things that are going on lately in the ransomware scene, a ransomware roundup, if you will. But um, I know that you know all the different groups that are out there publishing stuff on the web. Um, you know, so Ivan, you know, have we seen like a larger number of groups or affiliates out there playing? I mean how do all the rebrands play into it? Lockbit is a lot more active these days, it seems like. So what does this all mean? Are, are we actually seeing more?
2: Uh, yeah, it really depends on the group. But uh, over the past quarter, we have noticed a significant increase in the activity of some ransomware groups. Uh, in particular, over the last quarter, uh, Lockbit 2.0, which is the upgraded version of Lockbit, uh, they had over 200 victims. And um, That was the most by any ransomware group by far. In fact, more than twice as much. Uh, The second most active group was Conti. They had 77 victims. And then there was Hive Leaks that had 36 victims, which uh, is a new group this quarter. And then there was PYSA, which is an old player in the ransomware threat landscape. And then there was another notable uh, group, which which was Black Matter, which they just joined late in this quarter and they had uh, 26 victims so the ransomware threat landscape is continuing to grow, and uh, there have been many recent developments uh, in this past quarter.
0: It's kind of funny that like an established player in ransomware means like you've been around for like three or six months. Like that's like you're already kind of a vet at that point. It's kind of interesting how that works.
2: Yeah. Well, PySA has been active since last year. Uh, oh yeah, they were one of the first ones. Yeah,
0: but just with all the the rebrands and shakeups, it's just interesting to see you know how this. You know, it kind of works out. Like, who's actually lasting? You know, the most, and it seems like Conti's sort of the blue chip of, of them all right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know one thing that what seems kind of interesting is like, you know, the the record and a couple of different outlets also picked this up yesterday. Was that um, uh, there's a couple of different groups that are also uh, looking at changing their tactics a bit. Like, uh, which basically boils down to if you're involving a third party. Um, it doesn't look like that they're going to look favorably upon it. You have uh, Grief, who will basically delete the data if they find out that you're talking to somebody else about it. Um, Conti straight up said that they will publish the data as if they find out you're leaking any of the negotiations to anybody. Um, and then you have other groups that like, if they get wind of law enforcement being involved, um, things like that, uh, it's you know basically your data is either gone or published. And What I'm really curious about is if this starts another trend of like a triple or are we up to like a quadruple extortion, I think, after a DDoS attack, Um, you know, where if they get any wind of anything getting leaked out prior to negotiations completing or prior to payment, I wonder if more groups are going to adopt that. Um, It seems like they all seem to follow those trends. So I'm curious to see how that's going to play out.
1: Um, one thing I was one thing I was thinking about on the negotiation front, like I know they get frustrated, but organizations that bring in a third party to help with the negotiations can have a smoother response, right? They can have a more and make more informed decisions on how they respond. If they choose to pay, they can they can act faster. It's almost like you're, you know, you're bringing in someone that's got experience, and you don't go through all the pain that someone has for the first time ransom and things like that. So. I'm curious how you know we only know what's public or you know we know some things from our clients that obviously we can't we can't share publicly, but you know in in a lot of cases, I think it might make the ransomware experience more streamlined if you do bring in a third party that helps you with it versus just trying to to figure it out on the fly and come up with your ransomware response playbook without any expert knowledge. Um, I certainly would want to bring in a third party to help me out with this type of thing. Maybe no. Keep it on the DL as much as possible, right? Just for <laughs> some of the reasons we're talking about here. But I'd want an experienced person, just like you would bring Mandiant or CrowdStrike in to do IR because mm-hmm. they have skill set and scalability that you don't have necessarily in house. Um, or you would bring in a outside counsel for privacy because of GDP. Like we, we always need experts to support us. So I guess that's the if if you are working on your extortion playbooks and things like that you know, make sure you talk to the provider about how can we keep this on the DL? You know, we're seeing this emerging trend of, I don't know, they've been getting pissed off at these folks for a while. So um, (laughs) that's, that's not nothing new, but I would make sure that as you're looking at vendor selection for third parties to help you with negotiations, like what's their OPSEC? How are you going to keep it, you know, DL so you don't potentially escalate or aggravate the actor, which you know, Ivan and I have talked about this before and some of the stuff he's helped out with. You do see actors getting ticked off depending on how you respond to their initial and subsequent um, communications.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that Conti, when they made their announcements, they they were very clear that it doesn't matter if the leakage was intentional or non-intentional. If anybody accesses the, accesses the chats that they're having with the victims, they're just gonna leak the data immediately. And uh, they said that you know, a lot of victims, they will upload their ransom notes to buyer's total. And then somebody will see that note. They will be able to access the chat that they're having. And they said, like, it doesn't matter how it happened. If it happens, we're going to leak all your data. And if you paid us already, we're going to leak another company's data in retaliation.
0: Yeah. The, the, one of the points I thought was interesting was, you know, how that it's kind of almost, they're, they're trying to get a hold of the narrative and sort of like keep off the radar. Cause I guess they figure if a third party's not involved, that's less people talking, um, you know, and maybe less targeting. Um, I know we just saw, you know, we all watched the Ukraine police, um, you know, execute a raid. You know, they probably don't want to see more of that happening for sure. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting to see, like, how the how they're trying to control it and almost be their own PR machines, you know? It goes back to the, those points we've been talking about for a while about how ransomware gangs, they're just like us, you know? They got a the PR and media arm that they're working with and, and marketing and, you know, everything else getting getting those business development opportunities so yeah it's um it's interesting the how the world's changing there um i know austin is gonna kind of be the the, the bringer of bad tidings but um one of the kind of interesting stories that have popped up was you know about how um, you know we got kind of our first uh death actually as related to ransomware attack
3: yeah um <clears throat> alleged death so it's yeah. uh Law- lawsuit is happening right now but it, yeah it's definitely on topic for what we're just talking about because um, this was a hospital that was affected by a ransomware attack and this so it was in summer 2019 but the lawsuit has uh, come out recently but a similar instance where the hospital um, they didn't consult a third party and they just decided to wait it out which is you know a matter of life and death when you're talking about healthcare, care um, and they couldn't restore operations for three weeks so during that time, um, this hospital in Alabama, uh, they lost access to health patient records. They uh, There was a monitoring system for nurses and doctors where they tracked their location that was down. Um, computers on all floors were down. And the subject of this lawsuit, probably the most damning part of this lawsuit is the fact that the fetal heartbeat monitors, um, I'm sorry, fetal heartbeat monitors for the uh, NICU unit were offline. So, um, the plaintiff is alleging that because the hospital was under the ransomware attack, um, that they weren't able to give her child the care that it needed to survive. So, basically, they were, you know, had to resort to handwritten notes um, and, you know, handwritten charts, which is we know is not as efficient as, you know, using modern healthcare technology. Um, so, the plaintiff is alleging that due to this, uh, they weren't able to give her child the care that it needed and the attention and it died as a result. Um, so I, I don't know how lengthy this course is gonna, or this case is gonna be, but um, I'm sure when the verdict is reached, it'll be a pretty pretty big news story. Cause it, it would be the first, if uh, the plaintiff wins, it would be the first confirmed death from ransomware in the United States.
1: I don't know, did we ever hear back I was just looking it up and didn't see it confirmed. You know, it was just a year ago, September of 2020, there was a university hospital in Dusseldorf where a patient died um, and they said that that was connected to the ransomware. It looks like it was a (laughs) typical remote access into the environment and then discussions of it was targeted um, or opportunistic attack. It'll be interesting to see something come into, into US courts and case law and then what precedent it might set there could be quite worrisome, um, especially given how easy pickings, pickings, easy pickings, a lot of, uh, ransomware victims are because of, you know, not securing these external facing protocols that get you initial access. Yeah. The precedent that
0: sets is like, if it's, you know, if it's something that it becomes, you know, the hospital's liability, then that means, you know, everybody's on the hook afterwards or, you know, victims get their cases denied, you know? So I know you had a point Austin
3: yeah it was it was kind of surprising um in the article they talks about how the uh, hospital kind of tried to throw one of the doctors under the bus. Um, but just going back to what Rick was saying, uh, that case in Dusseldorf, I believe uh, had some overlaps with this one because they they believed that Ryuk was behind both of them, um but it was unconfirmed uh,
0: that's a that's a name we we don't hear as much as we used to for sure. Um... You know, like in its in that form. So it's, you know, even some of these long running ransomware is still out there and it's still attacking. In addition to all the other ones we keep hearing about in the in the news, it's it's nuts. So of general interest, um, you know, one of the the other kind of big things we saw was the Pandora uh, Papers, uh, as they're called, just basically got released by an international consortium of. Investigative journalists, um, basically a band of them, got together. Multiple news organizations and multiple journalists released the, the Pandora Papers. So, I know Austin, you're looking into this stuff. So, how um, how big is this release? I guess in terms of news or scope, or you know, um, how many people people's lives it's going to touch potentially?
3: Yeah. So, uh, just to quantify it, um, they're, they're calling it the most expansive leak of uh, tax files in history. So, there was 12 million files. Included and it revealed the owners of more than twenty nine thousand offshore companies, um, and you know of course it made huge buzz in the media, uh, similar to the Panama Papers it did several years ago. Um, I, I don't I don't think the narrative is all that surprising that the most powerful and rich people in the world are using offshore tax havens to <laughs> right
1: breaking news first <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: I don't think anybody's surprised by that. I think one of the things that I found more surprising um, was definitely the scope and just you know how how many people were working on it together, but even more interesting, actually kind of troublesome was the uh, information on how criminals were using the same trust funds and other offshore havens to uh, move money around, launder, launder money that was illegally obtained um, knowingly, and, you know, in some cases, get away with it.
0: How different is this from, like, you know, a few years back when we had the Panama Papers get released, you know, like, what's the difference between, like, this revelation and that one, or even, like, you know the stuff that gets leaked, like post ransomware, or things that you might find on like WikiLeaks or other kind of similar sites. Like, what's I guess what's the it's the huge difference here?
3: Yeah, again, this this one was bigger than the Panama Papers because the Panama Papers actually only came from a single offshore service service provider, which was still you know it still revealed a lot, um, but this was far more wide-reaching. um, Joe you know, just shining light on the, like the lawyers and middlemen who were involved and. How many oligarchs and politicians and wealthy individuals um, were using this same system? You know, and I guess difference between like WikiLeaks or post ransomware attack is uh, there. This was, wasn't. This was aggregated from journalists and news organiz, organizations from around the world, just kind of highlighting some of, you know, some of this is legal because there's because of tax laws, um, but there's certainly corruption and greed at, at the bottom
0: of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you know typically like this type of story, you know, I guess it's, you don't necessarily see a security angle right away, but, you know, in my mind, I definitely could see how something like this could affect somebody's cybersecurity posture. I mean, you kind of open it up to potential like social engineering attacks against, you know, people's stuff that was released. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, I don't know how strong they were as compared to like a couple of years back but i mean anonymous would you know launch attacks on people they thought were not the greatest and so you know do you become a, a target for hacktivists at that point you know because of information that came out about your tax returns and your your business holdings um so do you think there are any kind of other angles about security um i guess to to the rest of you like somebody could be worried about potentially if they are involved with the pandora papers disclosure
3: yeah i think you brought up a good point with uh hacktivism I'm sure there's some out there that were happy to hear about this reporting because um, it kind of goes with along with some of their uh, the narrative which they promoted previously. Um, but I think there's it kind of raises awareness about cybersecurity and data security, especially for uh, wealthy people and organizations that serve them. Um, there was a lot of trust funds and other uh, you know law firms that were involved in this. So I think given the scope and scale of this, um, they're probably going to rethink their security posture. And I think there's an, an analogy here because When you think of offshore tax havens, uh, you think of like the secrecy, uh, the promises of secrecy that it provides you. um, And it's kind of analogous to like, oh, any given process is immune from cyber attacks. However, we know that's not true. So um, even the most hardened systems can be compromised, even the most, you know, wealthy secretive people can be exposed.
0: We saw those with a couple of breaches with um, like Reveal when they're first starting out, you know, they had um, attacked a law firm that had tons of celebrity, you know, gossip. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, so it's kind of weak points, you know, where it's that single point of attack that has a lot of information, you know, basically like just a treasure trove. Um, So yeah, kind of interesting.
3: Yeah. It's an extremely lengthy report. um, If anyone's interested in reading it's, you know, it it dives into each individual, how they map it to each individual person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's quite interesting to read. From
1: From a practical perspective, what I was thinking, Sean was, these are the types of people that might be on directors and companies or, you know, you know, boards of directors and, you know, you've seen all kinds of politicians and things in it, you know, it would be good to understand if anyone that is in the boards of directors for your company are involved in this and just understanding any relationship that your business has to individuals in this and then how that might potentially impact you as well. I mean, it's probably probably limited, I think, in, in general. Um, I mean, these are the, the mega rich out there. I think it's maybe the more interesting thing is to Austin's point about these are things that criminals are, are using and, and, you know, some of the TTPs for laundering money, moving money, hiding money, or just taking advantage of open loopholes and tax code could be interesting from like a, a forensic accounting type of investigation onto specific actors.
0: Yeah, this it's just funny. I mean, because you know you, you deal with so much gray area in the intel world, and there's definitely a lot of gray area that's here that seems very familiar <laughs> in some ways. Uh, especially, you know, very legally, um, you know, exploiting those loopholes. So, yeah, interesting. I don't know the uh, the report itself. It's what's what I think is great about it is just, it's probably you know it's undergone some sort of you know, pretty, pretty strict peer review with that many journalists involved and different editorial staff. So, you know, to me that has a much higher degree of fidelity of being believable and, and you know, research behind it, um, which I think is really good stuff. Um, it's a lesson to be learned for any intelligence analyst too, to have that rigorous of a process to go through and to map it all and take your time to, to develop a really good product. So that actually takes us right to the end of this week's shadow talk. We didn't have as many puns this week as we normally do. Um, and I feel kind of bad about that, Rick. But uh, we do have uh, just a couple of things to plug. Uh, of course, we have uh, some different products that are on the horizon. I know for some of our clients, you'll be seeing some of our uh, quarterly reports coming out uh, hopefully over the next month. And then in addition, uh, we've already kicked off cybersecurity awareness month in the office. Uh, our first blog is already out. Um, And it's actually talking about protecting your own digital shadow as it stands. So looking into understanding what your footprint is on the internet uh, and different ways you can help mitigate the risk of all the different things that we have. Because I know that, you know, the average person, I'm trying to remember like the numbers, but it's, you know, something like 20 different logins, um, you know, and uh, and probably about the same amount of passwords if you're doing it right. Um, And so, you know, we all have a very large internet presence. So understanding those risks and how to mitigate it. Uh, really great blog. So definitely go check it out. Uh, we'll be releasing a couple of more blogs about security awareness over the next month. Um, and hopefully we'll have some additional events and material around that.
1: Um, Ooh, I've got one. I've got one too. Yeah. Uh, that you signed up for. I'm going to present virtually here for the uh, Dallas InfraGuard on October 21st. I think, let me just confirm that. Um, yeah, October 21st, uh, 12 to one central time. Um, and the talk's going to be uh, extort all the things. And so I'm going to build on a lot of, actually a lot of the great work that the overall Photon team does on ransomware um, and pull in some of the stuff you're just alluding to, like our quarterly report on ransomware and some of these set piece products that we have. So we'll have that up on socials and, and promote that out, but you don't have to be an infraguard member Uh, to use this. And actually, now wouldn't be a bad time to get engaged with InfraGuard if you are um, on the defender side, because if you do have a ransomware attack, having connections with your local FBI uh, would be a good thing for your ransomware response playbook.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Those those guys at the FBI cyber offices are pretty sharp. I know the few times I've run into them, um, really great people to talk to or just to bounce ideas off. And they're always looking to kind of work with industry from what I've run into. And I'm sure I think Rick probably has seen the same thing. That, um, lots of good outreach. So get involved. But if you've heard anything on the podcast um, that you're interested in researching any further, um, we do have some links here in the attachment section below. Um, as always, you can drop us in a line. Um, we always love to get feedback. Um, that's not telling us about how terrible we are on the broadcast, but instead helpful stuff. So if you have anything that you can suggest or anything you liked or want to hear more about, let us know. But otherwise, we thank you again for having a listen to Shadow Talk brought to you by Digital Shadows.